morning. He is risen. Okay, oh, oh, no, no, no. That's good. That means we don't have too many church folks here this morning, which really is a delight. So when, when I say he is risen, then y'all respond, he is risen indeed. He's risen. Oh, come on. Y'all can do better than that now. He is risen. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And for those of you who um, are uh, new with us this morning, maybe it's your first time here, you, uh, you might yourself even be super dressed up. I mean, you guys are just looking dapper this morning. You're looking lovely, but don't let it fool you because you'll come back next week and everybody will be in jeans and you'll come all dressed up and you'll feel left out. You'll be like, I wish I would have worn jeans. Now I don't feel too included. So it's just something vineyard folks like, I think we dress up maybe twice a year (laughs) at like Christmas and Easter. So if you come next week, I don't know, who knows, wear a tie or something. If you want to break that trend, that's fine. That's fine with me. Um, Okay, so uh, we've arrived at Easter. We're here. And um, today is a day to laugh a lot. Today is a day to celebrate. Is it not? It's a day to laugh until, until your ribs hurt. It's a, day to, it's a day to toast some champagne. It's a day to say cheers because today is a day to celebrate. Laugh a lot. Tell a lot of jokes with your family. I hope that you go home and you just tell jokes until your sides split because you're rolling with laughter. Today's a day to try something new, like write poetry or write a song or like change the world or something. Today is the day. If there is ever a day... Today is the day to do that. Today is the day that we're to have hope kindled in our hearts and in our minds. Today is the day to be encouraged that the end is is not really the end. The end's not the end. Today is the day, this is the day that we're we're reminded that we're, we're actually not getting older, but we're getting younger. The clock's unwinding. You see? Death is turning backwards. Death doesn't have the final say. Death is working backwards. And as some of you may know, as I've shared before, my my family and I love the Chronicles of Narnia. I've shared with you on several different occasions. My wife and I have read all of the the books, C.S. Lewis's books, to our kids at different points, and I wanted to share a selection uh, with you this morning that I thought would be appropriate, it's from The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And just to set the scene for you now, for those of you, maybe like all two of you in the room who have not seen that movie or read the book, let me set the scene for you. And it's that um, the three Pevensey children are sent to Britain during World War II, uh, they're sent to the British countryside for safe haven. And they're out at this old house, and they discover a wardrobe. And 
uh, as they're playing hide-and-go-seek, Lucy goes into the wardrobe, and she discovers that it's no longer fur coats that she's brushing through, but it's pine trees. Or fur coats, yeah, fur coats, fur trees. Yeah, okay, I'm right. Here we go. So, and as she enters this land of Narnia, she discovers that there is a queen, but she's really not a queen at all. All the creatures in the land of Narnia know her true colors. She is a witch, and she rules with an iron fist, and she turns uh, the helpless creatures into stone um, for any sort of disobedience, and is very, she's very, very bad. The white witch is very, very bad. So um, what happens is that Edmund, Lucy's brother, gets into the wardrobe, and he gets into Narnia. And as he's in there, he's approached by the white witch, but he doesn't know any better. And so the white witch offers him Turkish delight, offers him chocolate. And he eats the chocolate, and he can't stop eating the chocolate. Do you remember? He keeps on eating the chocolate, eating the chocolate. And then the witch draws him back to her castle. And then she very much wants to see his brother and his uh, two sisters, and so, um, so he betrays his siblings for chocolate. He betrays his, his siblings for chocolate. He's a traitor. He's a traitor to all things good in the land of Narnia. And then uh, there's this classic meeting of the White Witch and Aslan, and they strike up a deal. And the deal is that Aslan would die in Edmund's place. And the White Witch is thrilled at this. She's just like, yeah, finally she'll get to rule. You know, she'll be the undisputed ruler of Narnia. And that's where we pick up the story. And that's where I want to read to you from. And it goes like this. Who's done it? cried Susan. What does it mean? Oh, wait, hold on. Let's not go into that yet. Okay, that's where we started. Okay, so the, the witch kills Aslan on the stone table. There's this place called the stone table. The witch kills him, and Lucy and um, her sister Susan are following uh, Aslan to the stone table. He's killed on the table, and then they hear a loud crack, and they look back, and Aslan's gone. Okay, here we pick up the story. Who's done it? cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it magic? Yes, said a great voice behind their backs. It is more magic. They looked around. There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, staring up at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. Aren't you dead then, dear Aslan, said Lucy. Not now, said Aslan. But what does it all mean, asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked back a little bit further, into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned. She would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery 
was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And now, said Aslan presently, to business, I feel I'm going to roar. You had better put your fingers in your ears. Today is the day we celebrate the great news. Today we come to the wonder of Easter. The wonder that there was actually a a Jesus in history, a a, a real life Jesus apart from the stories and apart from the movies and apart from the caricatures. We see that God actually is love. That he's for us and that he showed us that love by giving himself up for us by dying on a cross. A criminal's death, even even though he committed no crime. He showed us that the path to true victory isn't through domination. Like the world, the way of the world, it's not through domination. It's through sacrifice, through giving yourself up. Today we celebrate Mercy triumphing over judgment and peace that prevails. Today we celebrate a good father who teaches us to love and not to hate. Today we celebrate a God who delights in forgiveness over blame and in nonviolence over violence. Today we celebrate the father's perfect love demonstrated in the person of Jesus, who is in the process of eradicating all fear from the place of every human art and the place of the, uh, in the face of the planet. The hope of Easter is that of stumbling upon a cemetery and finding that it's been emptied. The hope of Easter is stumbling across the tomb and seeing the folded linen inside. The grave clothes, but no mummy. Today is about experiencing that death is not the end. And death does not have the final say. But this is difficult for us. Because we're an Easter people in a Good Friday world. The now and the not yet. We're we're the counter-narrative to the headlines we say see playing out in the news. Throughout this week, it seemed like the world experienced Good Friday every day. It was supposed to be Holy Week this, this week. The high holiday of the Christian faith. Yet, why did it feel like Good Friday every day of the week? This week, many folks lost their lives in the narrative of hatred that played out in Brussels and Iraq. I'd be doing you a disservice today if I didn't mention the tragedies that occurred in Europe and in Iraq. And those tragedies hit closer to home as well. The AP News just reported last night that there was a couple who was in that blast in Brussels that is from Lexington, Kentucky. That's one state away. The default, the response to this sort of action in our world is, is most likely either one of two responses. One of fear or one of justice. But Jesus consoled us against both of those. Because his justice was settled at the cross. And we're not to live as people living in fear. 
So we will mention Brussels today and Iraq. It's nothing new in this world, though, if you think about it. Part of the Holy Week story is that of torture and violence around Jesus' death, the ruthlessness of the Roman Empire to incite a sense of control or, or maintain a sort of government. But that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Followers of Jesus are an Easter people who live in a Good Friday world. Today is the day to ask the question, what, what do you do when everything you know to be true isn't true? When your reality is, is flipped on its head and turned upside down? Just like the disciples asked. They saw with their own eyes. They saw Jesus crucified, hanging on that cross with their own eyes. They knew he was, he was dead. The Gospel of Luke says they watched as they, they laid him in the tomb. Today we ask, what do we do when we get to the tomb and it's empty? What do we do? What do we do when our entire reality is turned upside down? Where do we go with the pain of life? Where do the families of the Brussels attacks go for comfort or for peace? Or the families of the soccer players who were receiving medals the other day after their match in Iraq and then suddenly, bang, life ends. Where do those families go for peace? In an upside down world, we can see right side up through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he is risen. And he's risen indeed. You see, the message of Easter is not that Jesus is alive. I hate to break it to you folks, that ain't the message. The message of Easter is so much more than that. It's so much broader than that. The message of Easter is that Jesus has risen. He's risen. It's not that he's alive, it's that he's risen. That something new and unprecedented is beginning, over which all powers of the world of death have no power. Why don't you join me in praying? Father, thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that you are risen, Jesus. I thank you that you've come to bring life and life to the full. I pray, Father, that you would open hearts this morning. Would you open our hearts to see you just so that we get, a, aside from all of the church or, or religion stuff, that we would just get a clean shot at you, Jesus. And just gaze at you and see that you have eyes of love for us. That you don't, you're not judging us when you look at us. You are for us. And we love you, Jesus. We thank you that you are not simply alive, but that you are risen. And we thank you that you surprised us. I pray that you would surprise folks here this morning. That you would surprise people who um, feel lonely or feel depressed or addicted and strung out or burnt out. I pray that you would refresh people, surprise people, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we want to see you. Jesus, we want to know you. We love you. You are the lover of our souls. You are for us. And God, we, we say, come Holy Spirit, 
Come and fill me as I teach. Come and fill me as I share. I pray that you would allow me to say something that is just right where people are living, that would encourage people, that would be of positive effect for people's hearts and their minds. We love you, Jesus, and we know that you are with us today. Amen. I wanted to draw your attention as well to um, Ahmed Garib's work. Ahmed Garib, uh, if you guys spent time with us throughout the past week, um, Ahmed showed his work around the perimeter of the sanctuary here in 14 different stations of the cross. And that's what we're talking about, gathering something new from something that's been broken and separate. And so it's, it's really great that um, he was able to create this work for us. It's lovely. It's beautiful. He's, uh, Ahmed is an Iraqi refugee, and he, um, he has uh, donated his work, but we will be selling the work. So we, if you guys know anyone, we're looking for sort of like an art buyer or a liturgical art uh, sort of society or a... Uh, someone maybe in the Catholic world who would love to have this piece hanging on their wall. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take the profits and we're going to donate them to benefit um, refugees in his hometown of Mosul, Iraq. And so it's very timely that he did this with the, with the attacks last week. Very, very much uh, we're being the church here. It's really cool. So we're going to be in... Luke 24, if you wanted to turn there or swipe there with me. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. They're on the corners of the stage. Uh, one corner, that one. So if you'd like one, it's our gift to you. Feel free to just come up anytime and get it. So we're going to be in Luke 24, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And so Luke writes this, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. We're culminating a series, I want to pause there, we're culminating a series called The Expectant Path. We've journeyed through Lent together, dreaming about what it looks like to have hope and expect things from God. And here's the twist in our narrative, Vineyard Cleveland, is that the expectant path through Lent culminates in something completely unexpected. Completely unexpected. One thing we need to grasp this morning, if you, if you leave here not hearing one other thing, hear this. That no one, no one in this time thought resurrection was even a possibility. This was completely off of the radar of any living human person during this time. They had no, they had no frame of reference for this. You know, it's easy for us to say, hindsight is twenty twenty. If you're in American culture, if you've grown up anywhere near church culture in your lifetime, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, oh sure. You know, Jesus is, is alive. He's back from the dead. Everybody knows that. But if you are a first century Jew, 
I'm telling you, death is a one-way ticket. You are going down, and you ain't coming back up for nothing or no one. There are no U-turns. Once you're dead, you're dead. This is completely unprecedented, completely unexpected. So these women were preparing to see the same narrative play out again, the narrative that they were used to. Death, more death. They're bringing spices. They were expecting death and they were met with life. They were expecting to mourn. They were expecting to memorialize and pay homage to the thing that was familiar to them, death. They were not feeling guilty for having a lack of faith because they didn't even think it was possible. So I'm not going to stand up here and make you feel guilty. It's actually a positive thing to be surprised. Go ahead, challenge God to do the impossible. The resurrection is surprising. It's unexpected for these women. Let's put it this way. This sort of puts the cookies on a lower shelf for us this morning. Let's say that you went to... Uh, you, to pay respects to your deceased grandmother. And you go to the funeral, and everyone is there, and they're, they're dressed up, and, and you're at the funeral, and, and there's your deceased grandmother in front, and the casket is open, and people are paying their respects. And then you leave the funeral, and you get into your car, and you shut the door, you put on your seatbelt as you're leaving the parking lot. You, tur you turn the ignition, and then you look to the side out the window, and who's there? It's Grandma! But she's alive! The resurrection is surprising. The women who, who came that day came expecting what they would naturally expect. Jesus was dead. He was stone-cold dead, y'all. He wasn't coming back. He, he, was, he was dead. He was rotting. He was decaying already. He wasn't making a U-turn. He wasn't coming back up. Jesus was flat dead. And in folks' minds back then, once you died, you're not coming back. That was it. And this is a challenge for us this morning as we live in a Good Friday world. How, how are lives supposed to change? How do our lives change? These women were surprised. They were expecting to find Jesus' remains. It's my hope this morning that we would be surprised by the overwhelming love of God. That just like those women who came to the tomb early that morning, that we would be surprised by the love of God and because that's how resurrection from the dead always happens. Resurrection from the dead always happens through surprise. Three days in the grave, silence in the grave, and then bam, no trace of the old life. Resurrection always happens through surprise. Imagine the emotion and the response of these women to come and find Jesus alive. The man that they had journeyed with all of these years handed over to be murdered, 
and then now back from the dead? Imagine their response. There's no, there are simply no boxes to put this in. These women were beyond perplexed. They were flabbergasted. There was, they were at a loss for words. They began to ask in, in other accounts how that stone had been rolled away. You know, the NIV, this translation that we have here is super tame. It says that, they, that these women wondered. These women wondered. Like very British. Oh, we're wondering about this disappearance of the body. They're freaking out! Why is there an empty tomb and grave clothes folded neatly laying in the tomb? They're freaking out. Why is that stone rolled away? Who took his body? What is going on? That stone couldn't have been moved. Do you know in ancient tombs that stone was was set in a groove or a stone channel underneath of it? It's massive. No one is moving that stone. Freaking out. Could we be surprised this morning? Could we be freaking out this morning over the resurrection of Jesus? Could we be surprised? You may feel that your life will turn out a certain way. You've come to expect the way of the world. Life begets what? Death. Ah, but that's not the end of the narrative. Could you be surprised this morning that you, you may feel that you'll always be trapped in, in clinical depression. That's just the way you are, you say. You may feel like you will always be the sum of those hurtful words that were spoken over your life so many years ago when you were a child. You may feel like you'll always be a failure. But that's not the final word. That's not the final word over your life. You came expecting to lay flowers on dead remains. But God wants to surprise you this morning with his living presence. You came to memorialize with spices just like those women. And will later be asked by the Lord, why do you search for the living among the dead? You came to memorialize and pay homage to death. And God wants to surprise you with life. You see, because the truth of the, uh, of the resurrection of Jesus is that in life, we come to place flowers and spices on grave sites every day of our lives. Whether it's the, the flowers and the spices on, on your troubled or distressed marriage, whether your marriage is hanging on by a thread, you may struggle or deal with suicidal thoughts, you may be hopelessly addicted to drugs and alcohol, the Lord is tenderly and gently asking your heart this morning, why are you searching for the living among the dead? There's hope this morning in the surprise of the resurrection. We read on in verse 4, while they were wondering about this, there it is, that wondering again, while they're freaking out, suddenly two men in their clo in clothes gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, there we go, we're getting closer. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? 
Verse 6, he is not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. What's amazing here is that the greatest announcement in, in the whole of human history is being made to like just a few people. Just a few women who have come to the tomb. Completely insignificant. Isn't that just the way of his birth though? Remember his birth when Jesus came into this world. Jesus comes into the world. He's announced by angels just like his resurrection. And he comes into the world. Who gets, who gets the news? Who gets the message? It's the shepherds. It's just a few poor shepherds. It's the, it's the humble people. It's the humble who receive the announcement that God has come and put on flesh just like you and me. And isn't that the way of the kingdom? That these moments of eternal significance happen in seemingly insignificant places. You know, Tom and the team and I are finding out, are learning this lesson more and more at Healing on the Streets. We're finding that these amazing moments of eternal transformation and significance happen just in like ordinary, like people are getting mangoes at the West Side Market, you know, and they're going to the fruit stand and people are passing by. It's not the trumpets. Let me put it this way. It's, you, we, sometimes we miss the miracle because we're looking for the miracle. Do you know what I'm saying? It's the ordinary. It's the ordinary announcement. And I brought up the example of uh, John the other day. I was down at West Side Market and... Um, we were doing healing on the streets, and this, this young guy's walking towards me, and um, I go, hey, man, and he's like, hey, I might have intruded his personal space a little bit, he was fine, and I said, hey, man, can I ask you a question? He's like, sure, and I said, hey, uh, if God could do one miracle in your life, what, what would you have him do for you, and he looked at me, and he said, you know, I've been I've been clean uh, from heroin for two months. And if God could do a miracle, I'd like to stay sober. And on a side note, there's another, there's another example of living in a Good Friday world. Do you know that through the dates of March, uh, it's like four days, like March 17th through March 20th, that eight people died of heroin overdoses in Cuyahoga County? The, the, the heroin and fentanyl uh, epidemic is growing, y'all, in Cuyahoga County. This will be a place where the church needs to, to serve and come alongside of people. Anyway, he says, I'd like to be sober. It, that, that would be my miracle. And so I looked him in the eyes and I said, you know, it sounds to me, John, that you're, you're looking it, like you're looking for hope. And he said, and, he's, and, he, and he's, a tear runs down his cheek and he says, I've been looking for hope my whole life. I mean, we're in the middle of West Side Market. <laughs> we're in the middle of Market Square Park. But it's like, zoom, like this, you know, no one's going to know. No one know, no, one's, no one cares. But the angels in heaven started rejoicing because John, John came to Jesus. John saw Jesus through his tears. John was allowing Jesus to transform him, transform him even in the pain. 
seemingly insignificant places, that's where resurrection happens. Sometimes we look for the angelic presence, the the big thing, and we miss the visitation of heaven because of it. Let me say that again. Maybe I'll sing it again too. Sometimes we look for the <laughs> sometimes, sometimes we look for the angelic big thing. And we miss the visitation of heaven to earth. But let's not um, let's not linger there. Let's let's uh, I want to I want to move on here. I know we've got Applebee's will still be open for Easter brunch. I'm trying to get you all out of here at a good time. But hang with me here. Hang with me. It would have been easier for Jesus to just waltz out of the tomb that morning. Here I am, Lord. You know, that would have, or here I am, Mary. That would have been super simple. That would have been really easy. But we're left with the same questions this morning, aren't we? Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus just interrupted my boring talk and just like appeared? That would be so simple. We'd be like, yeah, amen. That'd be great. But that's not the way it is. And that's not the way it works. Verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Quick pause. Nonsense, that word in the Greek is more akin to fairy tales. Non-logical. These women are loons. What are they talking about? No one expected. No one expected. They didn't have any language to put this in. These women are crazy. They're speaking nonsense. Fairy tales. You're making up fairy tales. Peter, however... And here's where we're going to park this morning. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. There's that word wondering again. It's so tame. Peter's freaking out. In other accounts, it says that um, John, the disciple, went with Peter. And they were like sprinting to the tomb. And... I think in Matthew, John gets there first. You know, he's the, he like outruns Peter. He's like, I'm going to get there first. It's a the tomb's empty. What? We got to go. So Peter, that's, that's where we want to focus on. The Peter wondered part. Peter wondered. What's happening there? What's going on there? I want us to consider Peter for a little bit. Remember his relationship with Jesus? For those of you who are not familiar, Peter is the one who Jesus says, upon you, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Oh, Peter is zealous for Jesus. He loves Jesus. He's bold. He's courageous for Jesus. Peter's the one who got out of the boat. Peter's the one who walked on water. And then as we fast forward... 
at the Last Supper, do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? His friend looks him in the eye and he says, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny you even know me. And not only that, you're going to do it three times. And not only that, but you're going to do it before 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. <laughs> Think about their friendship a little bit more. Then they're in the garden, right? Here comes the mob. They're coming to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? Peter steps in front, da, 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 like Peter to the rescue, you know, da, 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 and he's got his sword and he chops off the soldier's ear. Do you remember? And then what does Jesus do? Jesus, well, first he puts the ear back on. He's like, like sticks it back on there. And that's really cool. But then he says to Peter, probably the, the last words that they speak before Jesus dies. You know, he tried, he's, he's still hanging in from the last rebuke. Peter, you're, you're going to deny me. I'm telling you. No, I won't. No, yeah. You're going you're gonna to tell everyone you don't even know me. You want nothing to do with me. Three times. I think he's given that one in love. And then he says, Peter, put away your sword. Should I not drink the cup that my father's given me to drink? And that's it. That's the last words that, they, that are recorded that they speak to one another. Then Jesus is strung up. He's strung up on the tree. We don't have any records of Peter being there. Some of, it says some of his disciples watched from afar... Maybe he, was, maybe he was watching from afar, but he didn't come close. Imagine. That, those were the last words that he heard. Put away your sword. Am I leading a rebellion? Imagine that being the last words you speak to, to your friend. And it puts in perspective why Peter wondered. And he was the one from the eleven. Him and John. He was the one who heard the news. He was the one who heard the news and got up and ran to the tomb. Could it be? Can you see Peter's wheels starting to turn? Could it be? Now, these are first century people, but they're not Neanderthals. They're people's people, right? People's people, whether you live in the first century, the 18th century, or whether you're super smart, intellectual, you know, us. People is people. He's starting to put two and two together. His wheels are turning. Could it be? Peter, put away your sword. Could it be? Could it be? Could it, what? Could it possibly be that he could be resurrected from the dead? Could it be? Could it be that the creator of the world had begun the work of new creation? Could it be? He's putting it together. Listen, the message of Easter is that of unexpected hope going beyond what they or we could ever imagine. It's completely unexpected. 
And not just life, but new creation. This is the unexpected path. That just at the right time, in a Good Friday world, Jesus came and he died in our place. Why? Why did he do it? Jesus came to die in our place to sweep us away to heaven after we die. No. No, he did not. Jesus did not come to die so that we would be swept away into some fairyland after we pass from this world. That is not the message of Easter. The message of Easter is that Jesus is risen, that he's alive. It's not, I'll fly, you know that, I'll fly away, oh glory, somewhere in the by and by. It's in the here, and it's in the now. Jesus is risen to make all things new. And that includes yours and my heart. He's here so that we would see him through our tears and understand that it's not just some place we go to after we die. Jesus didn't die so that we could go to heaven. Jesus died to put heaven into us. Come on. That's good news. The message of Easter is not about going to heaven after you die. It's precisely what it's, that, that's precisely what it's not about. That's not what the gospel uh, writers are saying. It's not about dying and going to heaven. Jesus is risen and new life, new creation has started. The Father was saying death in the resurrection of Jesus. The Father is saying death, done. You're a new race of people if you follow Jesus. You're a new culture. He's calling, the Father's colonizing He's the biggest imperialist in human history. That was really clever. (laughs) The message of Easter is that Mary Magdalene's tears were turned to joy as she encountered the risen Jesus. While she's completely distraught, completely a mess, And that story is still being played out today. It's not just some fairy tale long ago. It's the story of people coming to see Jesus through their own tears. It's the story of people coming to understand that Jesus isn't just some made-up figment of our imagination. It's the story of people seeing the risen Jesus through their own sorrow and suffering. It's the story of about... Seeing Jesus risen, it's not about going to heaven and everything being all right in the by and by. It's a story about people coming into relationship with God, which has nothing to do with religion. Religion only cleans up corpses. Relationship brings us to life and sets a fire in our belly. Presence, only presence can do that. Only presence can resurrect the dead. All religion does is clean up corpses and make you look good on the outside. Meanwhile, everything's a mess in your heart, the muck in our hearts. Jesus says, I've come in the resurrection, I've come to wash that away and make dead things alive. And that's never been done before him. The message of Easter is not just about good news a long time ago for people back then. The message 
of Easter is the story of us having something to do with that good news. That even in the transformation of our own misery, there's repentance and there's forgiveness of sin. And not just for me and for you, it's, it's much bigger than that. The message of Easter is that new starts are possible. You can have a fresh start this morning. It's what we cheer for in movies. It's what Hollywood tries to mimic. What God is offering through the resurrection of Jesus is fresh start. And a fresh start not just for you, but a fresh start for whole entire families, for the entire city, for nations, for the entire communities to be released from what's held them back in the past. That's what Jesus is saying through the resurrection. New starts are possible, and that message flows directly out of the resurrection. That's what the message of the resurrection is all about. This is the time when new creation is starting, and you can follow Jesus. It is possible to follow Jesus today. 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 Today, you can be an Easter people in a Good Friday world. Applebee's calling. Why don't you stand with me?